should have. So we ask for your grace and mercy where we have fallen short and for your strength and your wisdom to not fall into the same era in the coming week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus spoke some radical words, and he backed up those radical words with radical actions. Not only did Jesus tell his followers to love those who persecute them, but Jesus turned those words into action by loving those who persecuted him. The radical love of Jesus washes over all in this world, even his enemies and persecutors. Well, welcome, brave Lewis and Clark explorers. Uh, you come here today having traversed the, the water, I think, and the detours, and you made it. So thank you for being present today. I don't know if you've heard the story or not. There was a, a story that's told about a little boy that uh, he got called by a telemarketer. A telemarketer called the house, and he said, uh, Hi, I'm so-and-so from such-and-such. Who am I speaking to? And the little boy's voice was very soft over the phone. He said, you're talking to Billy. And he said, well, hey, Billy. He said, uh, is your mom there? And Billy said, yeah, she's here, but she's busy. And the guy said, okay, how about your dad? Is your dad around, Billy? And, and uh, he said, yeah, he's here, but he's busy too. And so the telemarketer thought, hmm, I wonder if there's anyone else there. What's going on at this house? And so he said, he said Billy, is there anyone else at the house? And Billy said, yeah, the police are here. And he kind of got his eyes open a little bit. He said, he said, well, Billy said, can I talk to the police? And Billy said, no, they're busy. <laughs> and he said, well, Billy, is there anyone else that I can talk to at the house? He goes, yeah, the firemen are here. And he said, well, can I talk to the firemen? And he said, no, they're busy too. And finally, the guy's really flummoxed. He said, so, Billy... What in the world is going on at your house? What are all these people doing that they can't talk to me on the phone? And Billy said, they're all looking for me. <laughs> well, I appreciate that story. And it kind of sets us up for this morning's message uh, uh, about how that God kind of navigates some things with us. Because God is an expert a finder, and we are expert hiders, so to speak. Think about the story of humanity. Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What happens in Genesis when Adam and Eve sin? What do they immediately do? They hide. They go off and they hide from God. And what happens when God comes? He plays a game of hide and seek. He calls to them in the garden, right? Uh, he wants to find them, and he does find them. And in fact, we could say that that's kind of been the story across the span of history, Humanity really kind of making a mess of things and trying to cover over and hide our mistakes from God and pretend that we're better than we are, and, and God kind of reaching out to us even in our fallen, broken, hidden space, if you will, and finding us. That idea Jesus even came to say, I've come to seek and to save the lost. So there's been this game of, of seek and find and hide and seek that's been going on from the very beginning. One of the things that's important for us to understand about about this reality is that there are some long-standing truths that affect all of us. They affected Adam and Eve, and they affect us. These are the truths that lead to people thinking they should hide. Here's the first one. Sin always separates us from God. When we have sin in our life, it causes a separation or a break in some ways from a relationship with God. Second, when we are in a sin, guilt 
causes us and tempts us to hide from God. It's the idea we don't want him to see the mess that we've made. But there are two other great truths that are also revealed across the Bible. God is constantly looking for the lost, and God longs to restore and reconcile us, to fix us when we're broken. There's a a story in the Bible that I want to focus on this morning. It comes from the Gospel of John chapter 9. It's a story of the twice found man. If you have your Bibles, you might follow along in John chapter 9. And if not, uh, just listen to the story of the twice found man. As Jesus is getting closer to the cross, we get more and more opportunities to see Jesus in action and to see how that, that he is constantly looking for people that are lost, that are broken, that are hurting. This is a remarkable story. It starts off, and it says in verse 9, that as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Uh, That's an important part of the story to note, that that this is a person who's been blind his entire life. He's never been able to see. And when they get there next to the blind man, his disciples, with all of the insensitivity they can muster, talk about the blind person right in front of them, uh, to his face, so to speak, with him not being able to see them, but certainly he's able to hear every word they say. And listen to what happens in that interchange, right? In front of that man, they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, uh, this man or his parents? Now, it, it's something that, that belies an idea they have that says, well, if you sin, bad things will happen to you. And, and on the surface, that's true. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be born blind or your children will be stricken with blindness. So they ask this kind of insensitive question right in front of the man. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? But Jesus says something remarkable. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, This is an incredible kind of a story because what Jesus is saying is, in this particular case, God knew that one day Jesus would find this young man and heal him. And so before he is born, when he's being knit together in the womb, God allowed him to be blind. We don't like to think much about predestination. It gets us kind of all bent in different directions. But Jesus says, this man was blind was born blind for a reason, for a purpose, that God could demonstrate his power in this man's life. And so he says, that's what this is all about. Now, in Jesus' journey, because this is something God has put together, this is something that Jesus has been looking for. This was something that God wanted to happen for that man and for us, so that we would see the story, so we would hear the story. And it's incredible First game of hide-and-seek, Jesus won. He found him, right? He found the guy who's sitting there. Now, this blind man has no clue how important he is to God's story. He has no clue. He doesn't know that his whole life, that the challenges that he's faced with were all for a purpose, that one day God was going to do something incredible in his life. He doesn't know that. He doesn't perceive that. But it doesn't change the fact that it's true. Let me just say this. 
it may very well be that God has some things that he wants to do in your life that he has put you here for. And you may be totally unaware of the thing that God has for you, but that doesn't mean God doesn't have something for you. And that there's not something that he wants to accomplish through you. That's what happens in the story. Jesus says, it wasn't this man who sinned. This happened so that the works of God could be displayed in him. For as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Now night is coming when no one can work. But while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now after saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with saliva, and he put it in the man's eyes. I know that sounds rather unsavory, right? That's a little bit gross. Let's just be honest. It, it seems kind of a crude thing to do, unless you think about the very act of creation itself as described in the book of Genesis. What happened at the moment of creation? God fashioned Adam out of the dust of the earth. And what does God do? God got down and he breathes from his mouth Touching that dirt, he breathes life into Adam. It's a part of the process of enlivening earth into flesh. And what does Jesus do here? If dust, if that is where God found his building block for humanity out of the earth itself, what does Jesus do? He scoops up some of that building material he breathes, if you will, life into it, smears it around, and he puts it in the man's eyes. It's a, a work of regeneration and a, a, a work of healing that Jesus does for sure, but it's rooted in something from a long time ago. Now, Jesus says to him, he puts it in the man's eyes, he says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, this next sentence is the sermon inside the sermon. And for those of you who have a hard time paying attention to the whole thing, just catch the next sentence, okay? Here it is. Don't miss this. This is the key for this man's whole story. Jesus told him to go and to wash. So the man went, and he washed, and he came home seeing. It is always worth it to listen to Jesus, okay? It's always a good idea to do what he asks you to do. And this man did it. He did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. He went, he washed, and he came home seeing. Now, if that's where this story ended, it would be a neat story. But there's a lot more to this story. And I told you this is the story of the twice found man. Jesus has already found him once. And everything else that happens will tell us the story of what occurs when Jesus finds him for the second time. Remember at this point in the story, this man has never seen Jesus. The Bible just says that he went and he did what he had been asked to do. He was still blind when he left Jesus. Also fascinating to the story, we have no record here that like Peter said, come on, I'll walk you to the pool of Siloam. There's nothing that told us how he got there. He was a blind man. I mean, it would have been really great if, the, if, if, if Andrew or James, one of the disciples, had said, hey, I got that, I'm going to help him get there. That'd be a nice part of the story, but that doesn't exist in our story. It doesn't mean it didn't happen, but there's no record of it. We don't know how he got to where he was going, we just know that he got there. I think it speaks to something, though. I don't think there was anything that would have stopped him from getting there. 
If he had had to bump into people and obstacles and struggled, it didn't matter. He was going to do the thing Jesus asked him to do because Jesus had brought something in his life he hadn't had before. Hope that things could be different. Well, that's where a lot of people are. There's a lot of people bouncing into things and banging off of things already in the world, but, but they're not doing it because they have hope. They're doing it because they're still lost and they're in a world of darkness. But God wants to bring you into a space of light and hope. The man went, he washed, he came home seeing. Now his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, by the way, this is just a curious play on things, the people who could see now aren't sure what they saw. It's a very interesting part of the play here. Uh, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was, but others said, no, he only looks, he only looks like him. Now, I, I love that part of the story, a story, but the man himself insisted, I am the man. I'm the same guy who always sat there begging. So they asked him, how then were your eyes open? And he said, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and I washed. And then I could see. Well, where is this man, they ask. I don't know, he said. So they brought him to the Pharisees. They brought him, the man who had been born blind. And we learn now that the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, was a Sabbath day. Well, here we go again. That was part of last week's struggle, right? So therefore, the Pharisees also asked the man, how did you receive your sight? And for the third time now, he says, he put mud on my eyes. I washed, and now I see. Now some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others ask, how can a sinner perform such signs? So the Pharisees and the leaders were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. Well, what do you have to say about this? They said, it was your eyes that he opened. <laughs> the man replied, I think he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind that he had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Now, it's at this point we really get a little glimpse into the psyche of the Pharisees. We get to see a part of them that is, is uh, you are, it's not that you are innocent until proven guilty, it's that you are guilty until you can prove your innocence. And their response to, to the parents is this. They say, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? Doesn't that sound catty? You just want to like smack somebody. I'm sorry, you shouldn't do that. But you know, it makes you feel like, what do you mean you say? There's no credibility to what you're saying? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? The parents said, we know he's our son. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. 
Now John gives us the insight into why he's saying these things. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So they'd be disfellowshipped, if you will, if this is a loose term, but the church where they gathered to worship God, you'd be disfellowshipped from the group if you said you believed in Jesus. That's why his parents said, ask him. He's of age. But the parents' testimony wasn't enough. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. And they said, give glory to God by telling the truth. It, it implies, right, you're a liar. That's what they keep implying here. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Now, I really start to like the blind man. He really gets snarky here. and It feels good in the story because someone needs to be snarky back to these guys. Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So they ask him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? <laughs> so he's kind of getting annoyed that he keeps saying this over and over. But he says to them, I've told you already. And you did not listen. By the way, interesting, right? We start our story with blindness, but now we have an accusation of deafness going on. You're not hearing me. Why do you want to hear it again? This is the snarky part. Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Now he knows they hate Jesus, and this is the point at which he's like, hey, you really like talking about him. What do you want to know? You want to be his disciple? And, and of course you know how this is going to end. So they hurled insults at him. They said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered them, well, now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly people who do his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And of course, to this, with a lot of anger in their voices, they shout at him, you are steeped in sin. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Verse 35 contains a remarkable part of the story. It's the story of the second finding. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And these next five words are beautiful. And when he found him, Jesus goes looking for him again and he finds him. It's the very nature of Jesus to do that. And now this incredible moment. For the first time ever, the man who is blind has been seeing today. Think about this for a moment. He would have known by their voices the people who through the years who had been kind to him and spoken a kind word and thrown a few coins into his cup. And he would have known the voices of those who had walked past him, maybe saying something derisive under their voice. He would not have seen them, but he would have heard them. And he would have felt the touch of people who were compassionate. Maybe someone who, when they 
went to put money in the cup, they took his hands for a second, just as an act of compassion and humanity. He would have recognized their voices. He would have recognized their touch. On his first day in the church, he got to put faces to the names, faces to the generous and to the ungenerous. On his first day at the synagogue, when he goes into that place under this kind of a moment, and he's on trial, more or less, what does he get as a first impression? <laughs> on day one, they disfellowship him, what you can see. Wow. He might not have had the highest regard for the local church body. I wish that that was an isolated incident. But I know there are people who've had bad experiences with the church. But that's not the same thing as a bad experience with Jesus. His experience with Jesus is about to be incredible. Jesus asked him a most curious question. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's a, that's a phrase, when we hear Son of Man, that should trigger something in your, in your memory about the Old Testament. This is a phrase that's used exclusively of the promised Messiah. It's a messianic term, the Son of Man. When he asked him the question, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's asking, do you believe that God's going to send a Messiah to rescue us, to free us, to help us? Do you believe that? That's the question that he's asking. And this man says, well, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Who is the Messiah? Well, that's the question everybody's asking. Everyone's asking that, right? Is Jesus the Messiah? Jesus' words are incredible. Not since Adam had anyone had such a first day as this man had. Because he says, you've now seen him. In fact, he is the one who is speaking with you. And this man has no doubts about who Jesus is. Not one. And immediately... He looks Jesus in the eye <coughs> and he says, I believe. Lord, I believe. Not since Adam opened his eyes and saw God hovering over and breathing life has there been such an incredible moment. I believe. And the man fell down and he worshipped. The prophets, when they talked about the Messiah and the promised one, they often described him as a shepherd who took good care of his sheep. That Jesus was a good shepherd, one who would reach down and scoop up a lamb that was injured or hurt and protected. It's a good image. One of the things that I think is so powerful about the image of Jesus as the good shepherd is, is the nature of sheep versus other animals. Have you ever thought of this for a second? The nature of my dogs is that I can get them to do anything almost I want if I just get some food out. I mean, for a piece of bacon, they will roll over on the floor, they'll spin around and chase, they'll do all kinds of things for one piece of bacon. And I think it's not unique to me. 
I mean, I think that any single person, God forbid, don't do this to me if you want to rob my house, but if you wanted to rob my house, all you need to do is bring some bacon, and my dogs will lick you and love you because they're totally driven by that. At my house, I also have a cat. I really don't like my cat, but I have a cat. But my cat doesn't really like me. My cat doesn't really like anybody. He's a cat. And cats could take you or leave you. Like, they're okay if you give them food every now and then, and they might get on your lap, or they might not. And I can call my cat all day, and if my cat doesn't want to come, my cat's never going to come. It doesn't matter how much bacon I have. The cat doesn't care about that. It's a cat. But I'm told that's what's unique about sheep is that <clears throat> sheep are unique in this. They tend to listen to their shepherd. And they hear the shepherd's voice. Now, sheep may or may not come if I call it or you call it, but if the shepherd calls it, then it tends to come. It's in tune with the shepherd. The Bible describes that there's something in us, that we're like sheep, and that somehow, if we hear the shepherd's voice, we somehow almost intuitively know, God's reaching out to me, he's calling me. In fact, Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice. They'll know me if they're listening. Well, in this story, the blind man was listening, and the Pharisees weren't. They were constantly rejecting what he had to say. He just wasn't good enough for them. He wasn't checking all the boxes for them. And in doing what they thought was the right thing, which is being very critical of anyone who would dare to say they had any connection to God as the Messiah, in their zeal to do what they thought was right, they did so many wrong things. We have to be careful we don't make those same mistakes. And we also have to be careful that we listen well, that we hear the voice of the one who's calling us as our shepherd. When the sheep follow Jesus, they encounter numerous blessings in the way. First, there's the blessing of knowing Jesus loves you so much he'd leave the 99 others to come and draw you back into the fold. There's the blessing of knowing that he would give us the precious treasure of truth in his message in the gospel. I like what John will say in the next chapter, in John chapter 10, he says this about the good shepherd. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Just as Jesus reached out to the blind man, and he talked to him, and he cared for him, and he healed him, he calls out to us today. <laughs> he calls out to us today. His question's probably similar. Do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? How do you answer that question? As we think about that, for those of us who are believers and Christians, we also think back to what it was like at the beginning. This is a story about newfound faith. Boy, when we first come to Jesus, we're so excited. It's so awesome to feel clean and forgiven. It's a beautiful moment. But sometimes, as life goes on, 
we let the luster of that moment fade a little bit from our memories. And we don't spend as much time as we used to reading God's word or spending time on our knees in prayer or talking with him. And maybe this morning's a good reminder to us. Jesus has done so much for us. Are we doing all we can for him? I don't know what decision God's put on your heart today, but I hope you'll be faithful to follow his leading as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.